Need to get your football fix on all things Army, Navy, and Air Force? This is Yards and Stripes Service Academy Football. Now, here are your hosts, Price Atkinson, Steve Carney, and Mike Lovell. Welcome into another edition of Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football as the Commander-in-Chief Trophy winners, the Air Force Falcons. They are on deck, not the flight deck, but on deck with the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl coming up this Thursday, and we'll get you ready for the Armed Forces Bowl on this episode of Yards and Stripes, including an interview with our guest and Air Force All-American offensive lineman, Isaac Cochran, the first All-American of any kind since 1992 from Colorado Springs in the Academy. So we'll have that interview as we caught up with Isaac Cochran in Fort Worth as the Falcons are preparing to take on Baylor in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl later this week. We have a lot to do as we're going to talk about coaching changes, that hire is made at the Naval Academy, coordinator out at Army, what does Andre Carter III's NFL draft future look like? That is now in question and potential peril, along with Isaac Cochran and any other service academy athlete that is looking to go the pro route here next year. But we're going to get into all of it as I'm joined by my guys, Mike Lovell and Steve Carney. Tonight, before we do have liftoff real quick, I think it's in order to wish and say congratulations to our guy, Mr. Lovell, on his official retirement from the U.S. Army last Thursday in Tampa. Mike, Steve was lucky enough to be able to head over there and be there in person. I was grateful for the photos and the video that Steve was sending over to me, so I, at least I felt like I had, you know, was there a little bit in spirit. But, man, just congratulations. We're super proud of you. I know that was a heck of a day, but a heck of an accomplishment you've given your career, your life so far to this point to the U.S. Army, Mike. Thanks, Price. I appreciate it. First day of retirement today, mowed the yard, so uh, <laughs> I feel like an official retiree. Steve, thanks for joining my family and I over there. It was great to have a teammate there. Yeah, it was awesome to to meet Ellie and Alex and Evie, your your two children. That was uh, that was great, and all all your coworkers, uh, past and present, that that made it over to uh, to MacDill Air Force Base for the retirement ceremony. It was it was a lot of fun. It really was. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I was honored that you asked me uh, to to come. I was I was grateful. Uh, for the opportunity to uh, be back on a military installation. It's been a long time since I've been on a on a military installation. I thought I was going to be in trouble there for a little bit, but uh, but thankfully that did not happen. So, but yeah, it was great. It was a great time. Uh, some great food. Uh, good timing by uh, Mike Price. You missed out. Uh, Mission Barbecue uh, mm. was was catering the uh, the Christmas. Uh, uh, the holiday party that was going on for the base and just mm-hmm. happened to coincide with with Mike's retirement and uh, the jumpers that took place <clears throat> there it was great a great time had by all that that's awesome man we were just so proud of Mike and you know his service you know to America uh and in serving in the US Army that, that is not lost on any of us here uh at yards and stripes much less Steve and myself but Mike do, I mean do you feel like a new man I mean I dare I say it is it like a, a a very early Christmas present to to have this retirement feeling you know just you know a few days before the holidays or is it this going to take a little while to sink in yeah I think it's going to take a little while to sink in a lot you know a lot of uh, a lot of transitions I'm comfortable with transition but you know we'll, we'll see what it looks like I think kind of the weird part is 
you know, everything slowed down over the holidays. So I think it'll really take until you get middle of January when everything speeds up to kind of figure out that, that you're not running at the same rate uh, that you were in mid December. But, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm less nice to talk about a guy that's stepping away than to talk about a bunch of kids that are about to step into it as they get ready for the bowl game. But I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. You know, just kind of finding my way into this next, next journey, looking for, looking for any coaching staffs that have availabilities. You know, of any, I think I do know of a few. We're going to talk about it here in a little bit. But before we do that, tell our friends and all our listeners about Ticket Smarter. Well, college football fans, we know that with bowl season here, you're certainly looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices. And we at the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network and Yards and Stripes want to make sure that you take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. Now, we know that bowl tickets Buying them online definitely requires trust, and Ticket Smarter is partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They've also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner as well, and with the best selection of NCAA Bowl tickets, Ticket Smarter makes sure that fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football bowl games live. You can purchase your tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market using the Ticket Smarter mobile app or go to TicketSmarter.com. And we've got an additional offer for those listening on our podcast on the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. For bowl season, you can get $30 off of any purchase of $250 or more by using our promo code bowl 22 again that's bowl 22 for 30 dollars off of any purchase of 250 dollars or more and that code isn't a one-time use no you can use that code as many times as you want this bowl season and no bowl is excluded so that means that you can even use the code if you're looking for tickets to the college football playoff national championship game. Check out the selection and pricing now with Ticket Smarter and remember to use our code BOWL22. Think smarter, Ticket Smarter. Let's get into it here as the Falcons are on tap later this week. The Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. They are the Lone Service Academy rep in the postseason in 9-3 and three Air Force, taking on 6-6 six and six Baylor in Fort Worth at Amon G. Carter Stadium, home of the TCU Horned Frogs. A 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time kickoff on Thursday, December the 2nd on ESPN. It is the Lone Bowl game of the day. So if you're football starved until that point, I know with bowl games underway, you've got, you know, games being played in exotic places at 1 o'clock, 11 a.m. So I'm sure on the 22nd as uh, we're rounding the turn, getting ready for uh, Christmas, people are going to be thirsting for college football, and you're going to get it that night on Thursday. This Thursday, Air Force and Baylor, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. I think it's interesting, guys, at Baylor, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it the last few weeks since the matchup was announced, but – you know, Bay- Baylor was a six and a half point favorite, I believe, when it started. Now that line is they're down down to a four point favorite. The over under started at forty nine and a half. That's now down to forty four even. And you know, I just think it's interesting. I mean, Air Force has won what four straight games over Power Five opponents, none of which were ranked, of course, uh, but still, uh, their wins over Power Five teams. Baylor lost their last three games of the regular season. Air Force has won four in a row. Could not be going in more opposite directions. As we all know, bowl games are about who wants to be there the most and who is, 
you know, the most fired up. But I still think it's kind of odd that Baylor's the favorite, you know, having lost those three, three straight while Air Force has won four in a row as we get ready for kickoff, Steve. Yeah, I think that the big thing about Baylor's losses, you have to look at who they were playing and who they lost to. They lost uh, at home to a very good Kansas State team sure. that that is the Big 12 champion. They lost by a point at home to TCU and then lost on the road to Texas, uh, a team that is looking to take a next step up when they move out of the Big 12 and move to the SEC come next year. So yeah. I think that's part of the reason why the Bears are uh, are listed as the favorite because they've had the much stronger schedule. Let's face mm -hmm. it. The Air Force being in the Mountain West didn't have the the best schedule this year. And unfortunately, when the chips were down, the Falcons could not come up in a couple of those games that they really needed in order to be, you know, a, a contender for the Mountain West title, you know, losing uh, mm -hmm. against Wyoming and then losing again to Utah State. Those two those two games alone probably kept uh, the Falcons from being in the Mountain West championship game. We'll see uh, what what would have we could always go, okay, woulda, coulda, shoulda there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that, you know, you look at Baylor, uh, you know, as as good as Kansas State and as good as TCU have been this year, they're not going to, they haven't seen a running game like Air Force is going to bring. And that I think is going to be the big uh, wake up for uh, for the Baylor Bears is going to be uh, watching Brad Roberts and company uh, go after their defense. I think that that's going to be big for Air Force. 100% agree, Mike. And, you know, the, you know, Steve just talked about, you know, I think running the football is going to be the story of this game. Um, you know, Air Force, I mean, we obviously know what Air Force's MO is, but Baylor likes to run the football too and has done so uh, with, a with a freshman running back, Rich Richard Reese, 962 total yards, by far the best on their team, and has found the end zone 14 times to lead that strong running game. Um, you know, Sophomore Blake Shapin is, you know, he's taking control of that starting quarterback uh, a spot. It's it's taken a few games. Um, hasn't been great lately in the last four games. Only three touchdowns while he's thrown five intersection, inter, uh, interceptions. Not a big threat with his legs. Uh, so this is going to be a game I think that they're going to lean heavily on that running game led by fr freshman Richard Reese, Mike. Yeah, Price, you know, I, I got a preview of this game out on Last Word on College Football. If anybody likes to read, uh, check that out on Last Word on College Football. I looked at really three things, but when I looked at this game, I kind of felt like Gazzini from The Princess Bride. Wait, <laughs> Baylor is 6-6. Six and six. Oh, but wait, they're playing in Big 12, a really good conference. Oh, but wait, they've lost their last three games. Oh, but wait, just like Steve said, it was against TCU, Kansas State, and Texas, all three yeah. really good teams. You, know, you kind of go back and forth. Does this glass have the poison in it? Well, you know, if he gave it to me, then he would expect me to drink it. But he would know I would expect that. So he probably kept it for himself, hoping I'll drink the non-poison first and switch it, right? For those Princess Bride fans out there, which we should all be. So I kept going back and that forth. That is inconceivable. Yeah, inconceivable, right? So I kept going back and forth on this game. Uh, but but I think it's so you hit a great point. Air Force's defense has been pretty solid all year. I really think they're gonna focus, they're gonna make uh, sh uh, shape and beat them from the quarterback position. They're, I think they're going to sell out to stop Reese and the Baylor running game. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, the Baylor quarterback shape has not performed well in the last three games uh, with more interceptions and touchdowns. 
And let's not forget, going back to the offense, Air Force's offense, let's not forget that Baylor head coach Dave Aranda fired his defensive coordinator yes. uh, after the end of the season. So they'll have a new defensive staff, uh, and they'll be without Devin Neal, a safety who is opting out of the game. Uh, he had some injuries late in the season. Not sure if he would have played anyway for health, uh, but he's opted out. So the good news is Baylor gets 15 practices to to get ready for the Air Force triple option. The bad news is they don't have a defensive coordinator and they don't have their starting safety. And of course, everybody knows safety is the guy that's supposed to, you know, he's the guy that cleans up on the option. So I, I really think, uh, and we'll get to, we'll get to our predictions later, but I think, I think, and in, in really the, the key here with a lot of bowl and just like it is with a lot of bowl games is the motivation. What is Baylor playing for? Baylor is not playing really for anything, right? They're, they're putting film together for next year. Probably going to play a couple guys they're looking at. Air Force is playing for everything. You know, the, yep. these guys are, you know, it's a bowl game for them. They're they're going to be excited. That's how academy teams are in the bowl games. Army has had success in the last year is beating Missouri, yep. uh, beating Houston, San Diego State. Air Force has won both. The Air Force has won two bowl games against Power 5 opponents in their last four, four bowl games. So everything, like you said, everything is trending towards Air Force. <laughs> Uh, and we'll get into our predictions later, but I like I like Air Force at the very least to cover, if not outright in this game. And I'll get into more detail on the uh, uh, in their prediction section. Steve, what do you got? Yeah, definitely want to get inside the numbers on this, Mike. And looking at uh, the defenses for each side, you can mm-hmm. just tell uh, when you look at total defense for both Air Force and Baylor, which way things could be uh, slanted on the field. Because the Air Force Falcons defense allowing just 256 yards uh, of offense per game and under 100 of that is on the ground. So I know that Baylor is going to want to try and run, but Air Force's run defense has been shown to be one of the best uh, in, in the country this year. Meanwhile, Baylor has allowed over 370 yards of offense per game. So I, I really do think that that that's going to be a very telling statement, uh, especially if you could start seeing the Falcons. If they get one of those, say, 12, 13, 15 play drives in the first quarter, I mean, that that Bears defense might be all pooped out by the by the third quarter. Well, if you're the if you're the Baylor offensive coordinator, what really scares you is the limited number of drives you're going to get in this game. Yeah. So where you're normally used to nine, 10, 11 drives in a game, if you go yep. against a team like Air Force where they ground the clock down, you're thinking, you know, I could get somewhere between like seven or eight drives tops. So in that case, what the offensive coordinator has to think through is, do I want to waste the first two or three drives trying to establish the run? Or do I want to come out throwing and try to maximize the potential on every single drive I have? That's that's obviously high risk, high reward, because if you don't, if you go three and out on on one or two of those first three drives, you've played right into Air Force's hand. So that's that's the that's the game scheme, the game planning that Baylor offensive coordinator and the offensive staff is going through right now, trying to figure out how they want to attack not only the Air Force defense, but the but the situational football uh, schematics as well going into the game. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of the quickest bowl games of, of the entire bowl season. I think I'd, I'd say conservatively top three, provided it doesn't go to overtime. I, th- I think this is a game that's going to fly by. Um, you know, but going back to something that you mentioned, Stephen, in looking at the numbers, you know, I, again, we're talking, this is going, the, running the football is going to be the story of this game. 
Baylor's 4-0 when they run for over 230 yards, and they're 5-1 this season when they run for over 170. That that lone loss was that last-second loss to TCU. The Falcons 8-0 when they allow fewer than 115 yards rushing. You look at third down, and I know that you know you can look at this statistic. You know, in almost any game you play, but the sample size we've got of an entire season to me tells a big story. And the Air Force defense, they have allowed their opponents to convert just 30% on third down this season, while Baylor's opponents are com- uh, they're converting on 45% of their third down opportunities. That's a big difference right there. I think third down might ultimately, you know, could it be the the key to this game getting off the field? Because we know the Air Force is going to have a ton of, of – you know, third and shorts just by running the triple option. I think the interesting thing here is Dave Aranda sliding back, Mike, into that defensive coordinator role that, you know, he was one of the uh, easily, I think, probably three best defensive coordinators along with Brent Venables, you know, when he was at LSU and they went 15-0, won that national championship, and then obviously he's hired over at, at Baylor. Um, maybe I have that number wrong, but, you know, they fired Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator, at the end of the regular season. Now, Aranda taking over as D.C. I think he's going to have some fun and relish being back in that D.C. spot, you know, because that's a guy that just – Dave Aranda, knowing, you know, people that have worked with him, he loves being in the trenches. I mean, he loves that nose to the grind. But I think that third down story could be massive uh, in this football game, guys. Yeah, that could very well be one. The defensive coordinator got fired. That forty-five percent success yeah. rate, opponent success rate on third down—that's that's just gut punching. You can't you can't allow teams to make nearly fifty percent of their third downs. You're, you're not going to win a lot of games that way. All right, the Falcons are in Fort Worth. They've been there for a couple days, uh, practicing at Kennendale High School there in Fort Worth. Eight Falcons going home to play in their home state of Texas. Tickets are still on sale at GoAirForceFalcons.com. We're going to give you our predictions here in just a few minutes, as well as hear from Isaac Cochran, the offensive lineman senior from Concord, North Carolina, first All-American for the Falcons since 1992 as he checked in on the Walter Camp second team uh, just a week ago, first team all Mountain West. But real quickly, a tale of the tape. You know, we told you about the direction these teams are going in. This will be the fourth all-time meeting between Baylor and Air Force, and Baylor has won all three uh, going back several years. But both these teams have had success in bowl games. Air Force has won three straight bowl games uh, lately. Baylor has won four of its last five in the postseason going back to the end of the Art Bryles era in 2015. So obviously motivation, you know, Baylor's been pretty good about that, getting their getting their team and their players, you know, fired up and ready to go. Here's a guy that's pretty fired up and Isaac Cochran. Caught up with him just yesterday as he's on the ground in Fort Worth. Talked to me about the NFL draft coming up, preparing for Baylor, the barbecue. Is Texas barbecue better than what he has in his home state of North Carolina? We covered a lot of ground, but here's Air Force senior All-American offensive lineman Isaac Cochran, and we'll be back with our Armed Forces Bowl predictions right after our interview. All right, welcome back in, Yards and Stripes. Your home for Service Academy football, now honored to be joined by Air Force 6'5 senior offensive lineman Isaac Cochran, recently named a Walter Camp All-American, just the fifth Falcon ever to earn that award and the first since 1992 as Air Force 
in Fort Worth preparing for the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl against Baylor on Thursday, December the 22nd. Isaac, welcome in, man. How's it going? What a uh, what a fantastic season you guys have, have put together with uh, the Baylor Bears on deck there in the Armed Forces Bowl. Yeah, thank you. It's been, you know, uh, p- preparation has been going really good. Just came down here and we're practicing together. Everyone's moving good. Everyone's playing focused and you know, ready to devote themselves to the game. Now, before we talk about, uh, you know, the game and, and a little bit about what you guys expect and play in Baylor uh, on the 22nd, you know, this senior campaign for you, you came to Air Force as a, I guess, a quote-unquote walk-on. Uh, you're nominated for the Burlesworth uh, Trophy given to the most outstanding football player who began their career as a walk-on and uh, shown outstanding performance on the field. So you've come such a long way. Just kind of take us through how you got to the academy, kind of betting on yourself as a quote-unquote walk-on to now an All-American as a senior. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all been a huge honor and really crazy. Yeah. Uh, just how I ended up at the academy, you know, I had known about the academies for a long time. I knew they were an option. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I started looking into the football program, thought, you know, maybe I could get them to offer me or maybe I could get a spot on the team. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I talked to the coaches. They told me to um, fill out an application, mm-hmm. got in, talked to the coaches again. I was like, hey, I'm in. Can I just pretty much have a spot? Yeah. They're like, yeah, sure. And uh, just getting to the academy, seeing the quality of all the players around me, having some great upperclassmen to look up to mm-hmm. and really help me get to this point. Great coaching and all, and a lot of effort. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, God's blessings really helped me get here. And it's been quite a, I mean, really a quite a ride for you and for all the, the seniors, you know, obviously with, you know, going through the COVID season and, you know, just the ups and downs that, you know, you guys at the Academy, everybody around the country, you know, experience, but especially as a student athlete, you know, and a cadet at the Air Force Academy, this is quite a journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has been. What about your service selection? What did you, what have you service selected for, you know, post-graduation? Uh, so, you know, right now it still depends on that mm-hmm. uh, bill that was signed, but right now I'm planning on delaying my commission mm-hmm. to, uh, to attempt an NFL career. What are the scouts? Cause I was going to ask you about that. What is, you know, in terms of the national football league, what are you hearing from the scouts, you know, as far as, you know, a possible draft pick, maybe what round, you know, what are they saying, you know, about your, you know, your professional, you know, prospects to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard like possible late round draft pick or mm-hmm. priority free agent. So, what so what it with the bill that's you know pending in Congress that likely could be signed the defense authorization, you know, I mean, I guess what are your thoughts on that? Because you know, you, when you come to the academy, you 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 basically have an understanding that you know it would be an option provided, you know, not that that was why you went to the Air Force Academy. I think it's probably every athlete's dream to play pro, you know, especially in college football to play in the NFL. But you know, you come there and you know the rule changed basically almost at the eleventh hour. I know Andre Carter. I've read some stories about him at, at Army. You know, having to deal with this and you know what is he going to do. What are your thoughts on this? You know this this rule that in law that could be passed. Well, you know, I I find it kind of frustrating. Uh-huh. You know, we've I feel I feel like what whenever a player goes to the NFL, like look at 
Ben Garland uh-huh. or Jordan Jackson coming out of Air Force, and even the other academies, you, like you have Villanueva coming out of Army and uh-huh. playing O-line for so many years. Right. That is huge publicity and public right. support for the academies and the military as a whole. Yeah. And I feel like beyond the personal aspect of like pursuing that dream and pursuing a career, I feel like also in regards to public support of the military and the academies, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you've got other guys on your team. I know that, you know, have got, you know, certainly a shot to play in the National Football League and pro football themselves. Won't go through all their names, but I mean ones that people recognize have been Samford, you know, Brad Roberts, yourself and and several others. So I, I got to imagine this a collective frustration by not just you, but everybody about potentially what could or what might or might not happen. Yeah, there there is. But, you know, right now we can only focus on the things we control. That's right. And um, so that, that's just beating Baylor. Yeah. And beyond that, we'll have to work with the people at the academy and just all the different organizations that run everything to really see what we can get done. Yeah. As we're talking with Isaac Cochran, 6'5", senior All-American from the Air Force Academy and native of Concord, North Carolina. You can follow him on Twitter at Isaac Cochran. 1999 and you know congratulations are in order Isaac because bringing that commander-in-chief trophy home to Colorado Springs I mean what better way could you want to go out as a senior than bring I mean that is the goal I know for you guys is winning that trophy obviously you know to, to cap it with a win against Baylor in the Armed Forces Bowl but how much does that mean going out as a senior and knowing that that trophy is in the Springs oh it, it means everything you know Army and Navy you could it's one of those rivalries that if you win two games a year and yeah. they're Army and Navy, then you walk away with a good season. Yeah. So to be able to bring bring that trophy home in my last year, first time in six years, it, it really meant everything. Absolutely. You know, obviously you guys had won the trophy, so really I don't want to say the Army-Navy game was meaningless, you know, for either of those schools, but in terms of the Commander-in-Chief trophy, Winning that, it, it was meaningless. Did I mean? Did you watch? Did you even watch the Army Navy game? I mean, I mean, in past years there was you know the trophy on the line, depending on what happened with Army. But did this year, did did you even you know tune in to see what happened? Yeah, I, I mean, I watched a bit. Mm-hmm. Just went out and got some dinner with some friends, <laughs> hanging out. It's the only college football game on that week. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what's it like blocking for a guy like Brad Roberts? Because I know you guys have a, a lot of pride on the offensive line. What, semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award for the best uh, offensive line in college football. You know, doing the jobs that you guys do and seeing it all come together. I mean, it wasn't just this year. He's had a great career. So have you in, in that offensive line. But, you know, blocking for a guy like Brad, blocking for a guy like Hazik Daniels, a couple guys that are, you know, electric when they get the football in their hands. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really awesome. They they make it easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't have to go like of course and of course I try to, mm-hmm. but I don't have to go in above and beyond to get them through the hole. Yeah. In fact, I could make a mistake and they'll still break a run for <laughs> 40 yards. Yeah. So just knowing that I have runners of that caliber and knowing that um you know, they'll be able to whenever I do something or make a good hole or something like that, that mm-hmm. they'll be able to really use it and explode through there and get us a lot of yards. It's a lot of fun, and it's really easy to block for them. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, as you guys get ready for Baylor again Thursday, December the 22nd, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time kickoff against 6-6 and Baylor uh, in the Armed Forces Bowl. 
you know, what is it in terms of you guys, what are y'all working on this week? I know fundamentals are always going to be important, but when you watch Baylor on tape, I mean, what's going to be the most critical thing offensively for you guys to be able to move the football, be able to run the football like you want to uh, against Dave Aranda's defense? Well, it's it's going to be the same thing it is every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on the O-line and the backs that are blocking and are we going to be able to move them? Because mm-hmm. if we can control the line of scrimmage, you know, our offense can really survive off of four yards of play. Yep. So if we can control the line of scrimmage for the entire game, then we'll come out on top. And to get that 10th win, you know, I know that's, you know, not going to be the driving motivational factor, but also, you know, the motivation of playing a, a power five opponent, you know, in, in Baylor. You guys have played them before in bowl game. Washington State, I think one of the most recent ones that comes to mind. and But the chance to go up against one of these teams from like the Big 12, the Big 10, you know, the SEC, you know, how, how I know that there's got to be something driving you guys, you know, in the motivation to go out and, you know, put that best foot forward and show, hey, look, we can play some darn good football at the Mount West at the Academy as well. Yeah, of course there is. I mean, you look at the guys on the team, you know, none of us were recruited to that <laughs> level. None of us were really desired by Baylor or by Louisville or by Washington state or by Colorado. Yep. But we always go out and we play as hard as we can. And every time we try to prove that we can compete with them. Yeah. That there's, there's really no great difference in the power five and the group of five. Yep. You know, so it's, it's a good challenge. It's a great challenge, but we know that we can play with them and compete with them and still come out dominant. All right, Isaac, before we let you go, I mean, you're there in Fort Worth getting ready for the for the bowl game. You know, there's some darn good barbecue in that neck of the woods, but you're from Concord, North Carolina, just, just north of Charlotte. You know, does does the Texas brisket, does Texas barbecue have anything on what, they, uh, what they've got back home in, in North Carolina? Uh, I got to go with my Carolina pulled pork. <laughs> what have you Texas, had? Well, huh? Go ahead. Texas has great brisket, but nothing comes close to Carolina pulled pork. I hear you. Now, have you got to have any of that brisket yet in Texas? If not, do you have some at least on the menu at some point is a pregame meal, whether it be the day of the game or, you know, leading up to the game? I'm sure we do. I just show up and eat whatever they give me. (laughs) You're just happy to be fed, right, Isaac? Exactly. Yeah. Well, look, congratulations on a fantastic season, 9-3, and three, as you guys get ready for Baylor. Uh, All-American, first All-American as a Falcon of any kind since Dave Shrek in 1992. Quite the honor, Isaac, and we're honored to have a few minutes with you here on Yards and Stripes. Good luck, and go get them uh, against Baylor. We'll be pulling hard for you, buddy. Thank you. All right, that was Isaac Cocker. Appreciate the senior All-American, again, from Concord, North Carolina. He's excited. Clearly, he and his teammates Wanted to get that 10th win to finish the season 10-3 and three, uh, with a win over Baylor in the Armed Forces Bowl this Thursday. Guys, prediction time. Who wants to fire first? Michael, you're the man yeah. of the hour. Yeah, so I think Air Force shuts down Reese. I think they dedicate seven men to shutting down the running game. I think they put it in Blake Shapin's hands. I don't think Blake Shapin's able to get it done. I think Air Force controls this game. Not only is Air Force cover, they win the game 27-20. Uh, so I, I, I guess I'm hitting the over there. I, I think I was on the under before. Now I think I'm on the over. So I got Air Force 27, Baylor 20. That's what I'm going with. Steve, what did you got? Yeah, I, I think you're going to see a lot of the same things. Uh, that I agree. I 
you know, seven, eight men in the box. You're going to, you're going to force uh, Baylor to try and win the game through the air. And if you do that, I think that air force has a really good shot. And, and especially if you're only going to have uh, seven or eight drives in the entire game to try and uh, score points. I think that Baylor's in trouble. Uh, I also like the over on it as well. I have 28, 24. Uh, I have air force beating Baylor. All right, we're all Air Force, and I'm going to make it a clean sweep. I also think yeah. the Falcons win the game as well. I think they win it by 10. I think it's 23-13. to 13. I think we're going to see some field goals. I think we're going to see some stops. I think teams are going to have to kick it, um, you know, and, and get some points, you know, with their special teams. But I, I like Air Force with a solid 10-point win. I think trying to get ready for the triple option, just I know you got 15 practices to do it. I know Dave Aranda is one of the best in the business. I just don't know if just, you know, in that short period of time after you're seeing the kind of offenses that you do week in and week out in the Big 12, I just don't know if Baylor's going to be ready for this, especially led by a motivated Brad Roberts and so many so many key seniors on this Air Force team. They're going to be trying to go out a winner there in Fort Worth, guys. All right, we got a whole lot more to do here. We got coaching changes. We've got uh, an NFL potential situation involving your academy athletes, especially uh, Isaac Cochran, who you heard from, who he, what he just talked about just in a few minutes ago uh, in that interview from Fort Worth. Andre Carter, who is looked at as a potential first round draft pick. We're going to talk about that. We've got our Travis Manion Foundation honor roll and a few news and notes to pass along as we get out of here and get ready for the Christmas holidays along with you, all our listeners. So we'll come back. we got a lot more to do here on this episode of Yards and Stripes. Don't go anywhere. It's everything you need to know about Service Academy football. Yards and Stripes continues. Here once again are Price, Steve, and Mike. Welcome back in. Now we got you all set for the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. We're going to pivot a little bit, talk about some coaching changes, coaching hires, and potential NFL future of Andre Carter II and possibly a few other standout academy football players. But before we do that, I want to tell you about our friends at BetUS.com. With bowl season here, guys, you know that you need that sports book with longevity and integrity. And BetUS has been pioneers in that sports book industry for over 25 years. We want you to go with BetUS.com that we've been telling you about all season long and take advantage of the offer we have for you with our shows from the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. You'll receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. And here's how it works. You put 100 bucks in, you get an additional 125 to play with. 200 bucks deposit, that's going to get you 250 and so on. It's that easy. BetUS has all the college football postseason bowl games, college football playoff, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, almost any sport you can think of, BetUS has it. Regardless of the sport, we want you to be with us here at Yards and Stripes on BetUS.com. Check them out, BetUS.com. And remember, our 125% match bonus for initial signups with our code COAST22. You bet, you win, you get paid with BetUS. All right, gentlemen, as we get ready to talk about these coaching changes, as I mentioned, the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. We've got a host of college football podcasts for you, especially 
is the postseason is here and bowls are underway across the country. So make sure you download, listen, subscribe, Yards and Stripes. Just search it in the search field or College Gridiron Coast to Coast. It's that simple wherever you get your podcast. Guys, it didn't take long at the Naval Academy in Annapolis to name a head coach. Last week, Ken Niamatololo is out hours after the Army-Navy game. Well, we find out today, as we're recording Monday, that Brian Newberry, the defensive coordinator, is going to take over as the 40th head coach in program history, succeeding his former boss, Ken Niamatololo. Navy Athletic Director Chet Gladchuck making that announcement as they have removed the interim tag from Brian Newberry as he was named the interim head coach. It took less, what, about 10 days, if even that, for it to become official. As in 2022, Navy finished sixth in the country against the run, uh, which is, you know, a lot of ways even more impressive. We consider it was the only defense ranked in the top 25 that faced three of the top 10 rushing offenses in the country. Navy also finished eighth nationally in the fewest first downs allowed, 20th in sacks, and 22nd in fumbles recovered, and 20th in total defense. Newberry spent the last four seasons at Navy as the defensive coordinator. Coming to Annapolis from Kennesaw State, where he worked under head coach Brian Bohannon, a former Navy assistant, and Newberry was a 2020 semifinalist for the Broyles Award presented annually to the best assistant college football. A native of Oklahoma City, played at Westmore High School, then went on to Baylor and helped the Bears uh, in a 1994 appearance in the Alamo Bowl while capturing a share of the old Southwest Conference. So Brian Newberry taking over, it's kind of what we thought, what we were hearing, that was likely Newberry's to lose unless something funky happened. But Gladchuck has just continually praised his organization, his work ethic, and now he's going to be the head man in charge at the Naval Academy. What do you guys think? Yeah, for me, uh, I, I think you were absolutely right when we talked last week that uh, Newberry was the smart money uh, choice and that it was going to be his job to lose uh I, i'm kind of surprised that uh, as much as i was surprised that the the firing of kenya matalolo came when it did i was not surprised that it did not take long for the interim tag to be taken off of coach newbury and you, you're absolutely right when you're looking at what he accomplished uh with the midshipmen <clears throat> this year and especially his success in stopping the run. Uh, I think that that makes him uh, probably the best candidate. You know, then there are plenty of other candidates that we've seen that were out there. I, I know that there was a lot of talk uh, about guys at Kennesaw State that that may be wanting to uh, to come to the Naval Academy and maybe some of the assistants may still come uh, because he still has to f finish filling out his staff. Uh, I know that the head coach at the Citadel was another guy that was uh, was being considered. But uh, I, I really do think that Coach Newberry was the right choice to make. And now the question is, how does he finish filling out his staff? And that's something that we'll be able to to keep track of as the months as the months pass, as you know, the end as the end of the school year comes and, and you start looking towards spring football. That's when. Uh, you're going to start seeing, okay, this is what the Navy uh, staff is going to look like, and this is what the offense is going to look like. I think we all know what we're going to get from Navy's defense. The question is, what are we going to see offensively? Mike, any surprise to Newberry, and where do you think they go? The big question is, what are they going to do as, with an offensive coordinator? 
I, I mean, surprise, no. I, I understand how palace politics works. Here, Here's my thing. If you've got a top-ranked defense and you fire the offensive-minded head coach, wouldn't you want to go out and – you already have a top defensive coach on staff. Wouldn't you want to go out and get a top offensive guy to come in and, and manage your team that whose central identity is around the offensive system than they run? I mean, was Newberry going to leave if he didn't get the head coaching job? I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. It, it just seems to me like if you have that position available, I mean, is Brian Bohannon going to come in and work for the guy that he used to be the boss for? Is he going to, is he going to leave his head coaching position at an up and coming FCS school that in, in, in a few years will make the transition to FBS to be an offensive coordinator uh, at, at Navy? I, I don't know. It just seems like a, uh, unless all this stuff is already in place, it doesn't seem to be a real good strategic move uh, for Gladchuck at Navy, particularly for a guy in Gladchuck who fires Jasper, fires Niamatololo minutes after the Army-Navy loss, and when he does his interviews, he makes it sound like he really understands flexbone <laughs> option offense. So I, 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 to me, it just – and Newberry's a great coach, very good defensive coach, no issue with the hire, and I understand – you know, how the palace politics work. So no surprise. I just, from a strategic perspective, I, I just, I don't know that it makes, uh, I just don't know that it makes a ton of sense for glad Chuck to do what he's doing. I think the one name, if Navy could have gotten him and you were to go outside the quote unquote family, um, and especially to go offense, I don't know if he would have done it, but Mike Thiessen, the longtime offensive coordinator at the Air Force Academy, he might have been a guy I think that you look at. Uh, he's never been a head coach. He's worked under Troy Calhoun for a long, long time. Um, that might have been the direction if you're going to go that route uh, because as we talked about, you know, outside of Brian Bohannon, I, I, there was nobody that really jumped off from the Navy side of the family. And then you look around the academies, you know, as, you know, looking today, you know, as, as we're going to get to it here in a second is, you know, Army had a, a very brief opening and offensive coordinator that's now been filled. Some of the names I saw mentioned there, you know, I could see, and I don't want to say stomach, it's not the right word for it, but like, a you know, a, um, was it Brett Thompson, former Citadel head coach that was fired this year? You know, somebody like that. But at the end of the day, you know, it was Newberry's to lose. But I completely agree with you and, and understand where you're coming from, um, you know, on the Gladchuck move to just to elevate Newberry because it seems like that was kind of the plan that was in place. And when you hear Gladchuck talk, I mean, he he's gushed about Newberry um, really since the, the Niamatololo firing. It, it kind of would have made you – look around to see if it wasn't him, who is it going to be? And why was it uh, not Brian Newberry? But that took literally a matter of days. I, I think your comment this is probably not for tonight's show, but I think your comments are pretty interesting. As more and more of the FCS, top-tier FCS schools and, and kind of lower G5 schools go away from the triple option and or the flex bone, and you've had Munkin and Niamatololo in their positions for so long, Paul Johnson out of the game for so long, yeah, I think we I think we've noticed here that there's just a dearth of triple option slash flex bone coaches. You know, the the, mm -hmm. the bench there has gotten really short. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, when you think about it, you really there's only one guy on the bench that's kind of an up and coming triple option flex bone guy, and that's that's Bohannon at Kennesaw State. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you used to have Georgia Southern. I think they went away from it. A couple of the FCS schools have kind of went away from it. So it's, it's, that, that's for another show, but it's pretty interesting uh, to highlight as we, as we look at who's going to be the offensive coordinator for Navy under Newberry.
All right. Speaking of Army, Brent Davis, we find out uh, over the weekend that Brent Davis, longtime offensive coordinator at Army, been with Jeff Munkin the last nine seasons there. Um, he is out along with fullbacks coach Jason Nichols. Jason Nichols was on the job for one season. He will not be back for a year or two with the Black Knights. So with Davis and Nichols out, uh, reports surfacing tonight I think our friend Sal Interdonato with Black Knight Nation had it first. I, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but tonight we find out that tight ends coach, current Army tight end coach Mike, Matt Drinkle, in uh, Nebraska Kearney offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Drew Thatcher, they will serve as co-offensive coordinators. Thatcher will call the plays in his design system uh, for the Black Knights this coming season. Under Brent Davis, Nate, um, Army never finished lower than 12th in rushing offense, finished first uh, only once going back to 2017, but they were second uh, in rushing offense in 16, 18, 21, and again this season in 22, but struggled against the academies. Black Knights managing just 153 total yards, in the double overtime win over Navy and just 78 yards on the ground and the loss to Air Force. So, um, you know, needing to shake something up, and they're obviously doing that going with uh, Drew Thatcher uh, from Nebraska Kearney, Mike. Yeah, all, all due credit to Sal. He's the one breaking the news. Uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how much of Thatcher's system he brings with him and how much, if any, he melds it with – the Jeff Munkin, Paul Johnson, Flexbone offense. Uh, Thatcher runs kind of a what kind of commonly known as a power spread. So he's working out of the shotgun a lot with the running back to the left, uh, working really out of a, a, a 10 or, or, or 11 set for those not super familiar. So for those that don't nerd out on football like me, that means one running back, one tight end. At Nebraska Kearney, they really ran a lot of three wide. I don't know that you'll see that at Army. Uh, I, I think I, I think you'll probably see more a lot of a 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, maybe one or two receivers. He does do some stuff out of a, a shotgun max, so you have two running backs on either side of the quarterback. But but it is a running base system. A lot of their pass, they do do a little bit more passing in that system than, than the flex bone. But you see a lot of kind of West Coast short intermediary passes. Um, they're all conference running back a couple years ago. Uh, uh, Dayton's, um, I'll, I'll get his name in a second, but he, uh, his name, uh, he, he was, uh, can't remember his name. Dayton Seeley was his name. Uh, his highlight reel is just cl uh, cluttered with middle screens, right? So middle screens, you'll see some seam routes from the slot backs, mm -hmm. uh, similar to what you see kind of in, in the, in the Munkin offense now, and then a lot of out routes to the flat. You don't see a lot of deep passing attack. So, so you, it'll be interesting to see how much they take the system that Thatcher runs now. And I, I know Sal's article said that, 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 uh, Thatcher will call the plays out of his system, but it's <clears> interesting <throat> to see how much he'll change his system as he gets to West Point and adapts to the athletes he has there rather than the athletes he had at Nebraska Kearney. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking was that, you know, you can say that uh, he's going to call the plays out of his system, but how much of his system can he use when the athletes are different? I mean, yes, it's D2 uh, where where UNK is as opposed to being in Division One FBS. That's quite the jump for uh, for a coach going from a OC and quarterbacks coach position. Uh, in Division Two, to being a co-offensive coordinator at an FBS school, and so I, I am going to be curious to see just how much of the uh, of his system can be used 
when you are going to go max protect to use an NFL term, going with the two tight ends and a, uh, and a running back or, or a single tight end and two running backs as a max protect. That could be, could be a very interesting uh, setup to say the least, especially seeing army in, in shotgun. I don't know how much shotgun you're going to see out of this. Well, if, if you notice at the army Navy game, they, they started the game and ran almost yep. all mm-hmm. the first half and potentially mo- more, most of the game with Cade Ballard out of the shotgun with Tyre Tyler right next to him. The, yep. the other issue is that this is a gro- not issue, but the other thing to point out is this is a growing trend in football. This is kind of, kind of the, you know, I hate to go to the Tennessee thing, but this is not Tennessee related kind of goes <laughs> to the Josh Heupel philosophy of offense where you spread out. You could see army throw three wide receivers out there and, and, and and, and spread the field out from sideline to sideline. What that does, uh, obviously, is it reduces the numbers in the box mm-hmm. for the running game. A lot of people don't realize that Hypo's offense, even at Tennessee and at UCF, ran the ball as much as they throw the ball. It, it's a, it's, it's closer to the flex bone than it is to Leach and Mummy's air raid. Yeah, from a philosophical perspective. So you could see Army spread it out. Just because they have three wide receivers doesn't mean they're going to throw it to them. They're just getting the numbers out of the box from a, from a philosophy aspect. I'm curious for both of your guys' thoughts on this. Uh, and I know that, you know, that uh, Chuck Gladchuk had said this uh, upon the firing of Ken Niamatololo that, you know, this was going to be all about the triple option and it was going to be, and they were looking for coaches. But as Mike mentioned, you know, there is kind of a, uh, there's a dry, there's a dry spell. I mean, we've hit, we've hit the riverbed here, the dry riverbed for triple option coaches. I wonder how much longer the service academies are going to be able to go with the triple option without having to recycle coaches. I mean, having, you know, going, going from having Niamatololo be the head coach at Navy to being the offensive coordinator at Air Force to being the offensive coordinator at Army. I mean, head coach at Army. I mean, it would be it would be very interesting to see how much the addition of Drew Thatcher at Army may hasten a I, I don't want to call it a move away from the triple option, but an yeah. evolution uh, of of the offense again to try and mold, uh, you know, these plays for these athletes at these academies. I'm excited to see it because of exactly what you're talking about. You know, a a little bit of a, I, I don't think you have completely abandon, you know, triple option. You know, you can run, look, you can run the same offense and look different doing it out of hundred different ways. Whether you're running triple option out of the shotgun, you're running it out of a flex bone, running out of the wishbone. I mean, the multitude of ways to do it. I think that's likely what we're going to see, you know, as Mike articulated with Thatcher's offense he had in Nebraska Kearney, you know, in mixing it up, show it, you know, not just being what, you know, the other academies in a lot of ways look like. But I think at the end of the day, I don't think you you can get away. Like Paul Johnson always, you know, used to joke about it and call, you know, the, what all these other teams, almost everybody around the country, unless you're, you know, basically Leach and Mummy, um, or the academies, but what he called the NCAA offense. Everybody wants balance. They want to throw it and they want to pass it. And Johnson always called it the NCAA offense. I don't think the academies can run the NCAA offense because I don't think they have the athletes to do it. I remember watching Todd Berry try and do it for several years. Can't do it it, with the academies. You've got to be different. And I think the triple option is what gives them that advantage by being different, Mike. 
And Steve, to your point, let's not forget that Paul Johnson's flex bone was an adaptation of the original triple option. Mm-hmm. So you start yeah. with the you start with the the smokestack eye option made famous by Bud Wilkinson in Oklahoma in the fifties. Yeah. Then you move to the wishbone offense. The reason why the flex bone works so well for Paul Johnson is because in the wishbone and the smokestack eye option, you have to have big beefy offensive linemen because you want to power, you want to move the line of scrimmage forward so the quarterback makes the decision. He's already one yard you know, one yard uh, more, uh, one yard forward of the line of scrimmage when he hits mm-hmm. the end. With the flex bone, you don't have to have those huge linemen. And that's really, when you talk about getting athletes to the academy, you're, you're really the crux of the, the crux of that is the offensive line. You can't have, normally you can't have six, five, 330 pound offensive linemen like you have, that's what, unless you're Air Force. And, yeah, and unless Isaac you're Isaac Cochran. <laughs> right. Cause you, cause you got to go to the Army or the Navy or the Air Force. Hey, I, I don't know if you guys have been on a sub lately, but six, five, 330 pound dudes don't do very well on no, submarines, right? So, so that's why Paul Johnson's Flexman was perfect for the academies because you, you use the speed and the yep. skill of smaller offensive linemen to get the same effect as you did under the traditional. Uh, smokestack eye and wishbone options where they had the much larger offensive linemen. So to your point, this might be the next evolution. When we talked Army-Navy week, we talked about the evolutionary divergence of the flexbone offense between Munkin and Neil Montalolo. Now they've been nine years separated. This might be Munkin's way of the next evolutionary step of the flexbone or the triple option offense as they move into the, the next era of service academy football, the era where transfer portal is a consideration, NIL pulling kids away. Maybe this is Munkin looking forward and saying, hey, how do we need to posture ourselves going forward to make sure we don't fall behind in this new era of college football? It's going to be interesting to see for sure. Yeah, and it's not uncommon, uh, as interesting as it looks on a depth chart, to see a 6'3", 275-pound left or right tackle. You saw those often at the academies. Especially because you know the you know you're undersized usually in general you're not six four two ninety or six five two ninety coming in as like a, a left guard, I mean these guys are usually a little bit undersized and so the speed as well like you mentioned to be able to get up block and go quickly you know that's I mean that's the name of the game um, I can't wait to see it and see how it runs and see how it looks, especially once he gets to Army and see honestly what's what we hear and find out coming out of spring practice, Mike, uh, is that new offense is instituted. All right, let's let's pivot a little bit more. We're going to stay um, with the academies and Army specifically as Andre Carter, the second's future in terms of his potential NFL draft spot. Is that in peril now as we find out? From the Military Times, their first they were the first ones to report it on December the eighth because in the section in Section five hundred fifty three of the National Defense Authorization Act, which has been passed by both bodies, the House and the Senate, um, it now sits at President Biden's desk, uh, to which he has not, as of this recording, has not signed it. But in Section five fifty three of the National Defense Authorization Bill. Uh, which annually appropriates the defense budget um, for the military, which includes the academies here. The language states, quote, an an agreement by a cadet or midshipman to play professional sport constitutes a breach of service obligation, end quote. And that, that bill, again, is sitting on President Biden's desk where 
he is now basically being forced to decide uh, between signing that def annual defense budget or deciding on the military vaccine mandate because there is a mandate that was added, a rider that was added to this bill uh, removing the vaccine manda mandate in the U.S. military. Mike's probably uh, somewhat familiar with this, uh, but it's something that's now thrown the bill. I'm not going to speak for the White House or the president, but it's now kind of thrown the bill's future in jeopardy as we don't know which way Biden is going to go with it. But one thing I can tell you is that Mike Gallagher, Republican congressman from Wisconsin's 8th district, who was the one that offered the amendment to the original bill, um, he said in a statement to ESPN, quote, I'll be working with my colleagues to identify a legislative fix that addresses this issue by grandfathering in existing athletes into the current system, end quote. He goes on to say, the U.S. military service academies exist to produce war fighters, not professional athletes, end quote. So as we sit here right now, the future of Andre Carter II, you heard Isaac Cochran, All-American Offensive Lineman from Air Force. He weighed in on it earlier. This is a thing even going back to when I worked at the academies from 2000 to 04. I had a couple baseball players, uh, one that was drafted in the 13th round by Matt Foster, scared off, probably would have gone maybe top 10 rounds, but because, especially at the time, drafting profession or drafting service academy athletes into professional sports, we've gone back and forth with this, you know, and honestly, in a lot of ways, it's depending on the administration. It's depending on who's in charge of DOD what has been allowed because a lot of times you have to apply to if there's not language like we're now reading uh that is in the D national defense authorization bill it might be up to like the the, the secnav the secretary of the navy or the secretary of the army a waiver would be filed and would basically go sit on their desk to decide and i know during wartime uh service academy athletes you know they weren't this was a big uh contention point during that time during the Iraq war and Afghanistan in the war on terror that a lot of the service academy athletes weren't allowed to do it. But now we have specific language basically stating it's quote, a breach of service obligation. Mike, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't get it. One, the mission of the academy is, is to train the corps and brigades to be leaders of characters to provide for the common defense and be prepared to serve as officers in the services. So that, that that's one. You can do that. You don't have to do that immediately upon graduation. Two, here's what I don't get. We make exceptions for other gifted people. We send, uh, you know, the, the army sends two or three, four or five cadets a year to to oxford for two years to get their uh road scholarship on navy every now and then sends one or two you know they're not quite <laughs> as academically proficient as west point i, I knew that was wow shot <laughs> yeah, across just, the bow yeah okay so uh, but but seriously back to the legislation and then three here's what i really don't get about it this is so simple the solution here is so simple put the kid gets drafted in the in the nfl or get signed to a UFA contract within five days after the draft. Put them in reserve status, right? And then whenever it once they have six months where they are not under contract, then their active duty commitment commences. Mm -hmm. They can be in reserve status. It's in the NFL. They can do two weeks. Uh, they can do two weeks twice a year, easy. I, this is so simple. It blows my mind that we have 
conversations about this and legislation that gets snuck in at the last minute. It's it's simple. It's 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 common sense. Make them a reserve status when their playing days are over. Then they can serve their five-year commitment. This is what we do. Look, if you graduate the academy and you serve your five years active duty, you're going into the reserves until eight years anyway. It's a reserve commission that becomes active once you go into the military. It, I, it, I, I don't understand this. This is simple. This is easy. It's simple. I don't understand how we continue to get this wrong. It's one or two guys every three or four years per academy. Why can we not get this right? This is simple. This yeah, is simple. I don't get this at all because, as Mike pointed out, we're, we're talking about a very, very, very few. I mean, you're, you're talking about how, how big is a, is a normal graduating class of a service academy? And, Mike, you know this because you graduated from a service academy. Uh, I was ranked 917 out of 966, so usually okay, so, about 950. So, the, yeah, so there's between 900 and 1,000. <laughs> that was a joke. Graduates. I wasn't that low, but I was pretty yeah. low. <laughs> no, but, but there's, there's between 900 and 1,000 graduates per year per academy. Yep. And we're talking about one or two every four years or so. So we're talking about something that is, you know, one-tenth of one percent of the entire graduating class combined of it's, all it, the service academies. You it's should an be exceptional able to, case. It's, ex, it's exceptional. And and it should be determined by a case by in a case by case basis. You yes. can put that in the in the in the law. You can say that there will be that there are exception that there are exceptional cases and they will be determined in a case by case basis. And I think if you ask Congressman Gallagher, he, he, well, if you ask him this, he he wouldn't agree. But when he says, you know, the U.S. military academies exist to produce war fighters, not professional athletes, while most players at Navy, Army, Air Force, you know, probably all have that pipe dream in the back of their head to want to go play in the NFL. I'm just here to tell the congressman that they're not going to any of the three of the academies because that's where their NFL dream is going to be best. You know, they're going to be best achieving that dream through the academies. And that's no slight on the academies. If 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 you're Andre Carter, the second six, seven, all world athlete, you know, it's one of these things where he's he's overlooked by the big boys. You know, unless unless there was some situation where he just had his absolute merry heart set on serving his country, which I'm I don't think that he did. Um, he was understanding of the policy when they got there, but now for that, you know, his parents said for that rug, rug to be pulled from out from under him at the last minute. Worst case situation, absolutely worst case in my in in my book. If this is going to stand and this bill is signed by the president. Yeah, you, you got to look at it on a case by case basis and go back and, you know, apply for a waiver or something. But it's got to be grandfathered in. There's no way you can penalize Andre Carter II, Isaac Cochran and others um, without this thing being grandfathered in because they came to academy with the rule stating it was one way. And then for it to be changed, that's not the academy or military way as it is either to spring something. It's all about planning and preparation. In, in the modern era of the service academies, I am comfortable betting an entire paycheck that not a single football player thought to themselves that going to the Air Force Academy, Army, or Navy was the best route for them to get to the NFL. Not a single football Amen. player in the last 40 years has thought that going to a service academy was the best. I had a dream of playing in the NFL when I went to West Point. I didn't even play for the football team. Right. So a lot of kids have a dream of playing in the NFL. 
but they go to the service academy for something else. It's to, it's to be part of the brigade of midshipmen, to be part of the Corps of Cadets, and to get that invaluable life experience. And, oh, and for a small few of them, magic happens. They develop, they grow. Right. Something happens, and they get that shot. We send guys to we send guys and gals to medical school straight out. We send people to road scholars straight out. There are other people who do other exceptional things when they get out. I it, I do not know how we mess this. This is super simple. Put them on reserve status when they're done. If they can't be on a contract within six months, they're playing. They are officially considered playing career over by the army, and then they come in serve their commitment, whatever it is, five, four, five, four or five years. It's that simple. You can be an army officer at thirty-two. You can be an army officer at forty-two years old. I know. I can show that, <laughs> right? But but you can't be you can't be an NFL football player coming out of Army, Navy, or Air Force. Unless you do it as soon as you come out of the academy. Well, that's not true. A villain of wave. I was going to say villain of wave. But, but, but there will, that, that, that's an exception to the exception. Yeah. There will be a few people that would say, and that would be out there to say that, oh, no, we're, you know, we're, we're at war or we're, you know, currently, you know, we are we going to miss they, one player? No, are we, no, we miss won't. One officer? Are those, are those but, same people signing up to? go to this war no they're not but okay. what i was going to say is they're in the very very strict minority the majority of people would say this is fantastic pr for the for west point for annapolis for the air force academy this is fantastic pr for the united states army the united states navy the united states air force the u.s Mar the united states marine corps the majority of people it would have that that it this is such a benefit, not just for, you know, the, clearly the student athlete or, you know, obviously cadet or midshipman, um, the academies and the institution that they would be serving ultimately, which in Andre Carter II's situation would be the United States Army. I just don't, I'm with you, Mike. This, this is a very simple thing. I don't know why we have to flip-flop and continue to change this, which has changed so many times over the last 20 years. But when I graduated high school, before I went to West Point, I could name four graduates of the Naval Academy. Roger Stahlbeck, <laughs> Joe Bellini, David uh, David Robinson, and Jimmy Carter. <laughs> three of those were athletes. There we go. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I just hope that uh, it's just going to be interesting to watch, especially is the president going to sign or not sign the bill? And if he does sign it, what might happen thereafter? All right, we got to get out of here as we've got our Travis Manning Foundation honor roll segment coming up where we honor a fallen hero, one that is given the ultimate sacrifice. And then we'll come back and close up shop with a few news and notes before we get out of here for Christmas uh, and let all our listeners enjoy the festive holiday season as we will continue here on Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football as we are part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the words he spoke before his final deployment, If not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Mannion Foundation. And through TMF, these words can live in you too. Show the world what you're made of, because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismanion.org. 
Now time for our Travis Manion Foundation Honor Roll segment, where if you've listened listened to the podcast before, you know that we take the time and a step back to honor a member a fallen hero, one that's given the ultimate sacrifice, protecting our freedoms here at home. And as we partnered with the Travis Manion Foundation, once again, that you can find out more information online, travismanion.org, this holiday season, you can give the gift of hope. And countless families of the fall and continue to navigate these uncertain ter- times of terrain, grief, and loss. And your support can lift their hearts and spirits now and throughout this holiday season with the gifts of new beginnings, renewed purpose, meaningful connection, and hope. You can donate today online again at travismanion.org. And this week we will honor a member United States Marine Corps First Lieutenant Michael L. Lacalzi. A native of Garden City, New York, United States Marine Corps First Lieutenant Michael Lacalzi gave the ultimate sacrifice on May the 11th, 2006, when his tank rolled off a bridge and into a canal serving in the Al Al Anbar province of Iraq. Assigned to the 2nd Tank Battalion, 2nd Marine Division, Lacalzi had been in Iraq just six weeks when the accident occurred that also killed three of his fellow soldiers. Lacalzi graduated from Chaminade High School in 2000, where he ran track cross-country and was part of the crew team. He was also a member of the German club and enjoyed surfing, while later in life he even took Italian cooking lessons. As a child young man, he always expressed to his family the goal of one day becoming a Marine. Well, he made that happen, attending the United States Naval Academy, where he was a model student, courageous boxer, and active leader of the 30th Company. He went on to graduate from the Naval Academy in 2004 with a Bachelor of Science in Economics and was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps at graduation. He's described as exceptionally loyal and fiercely dedicated to his family, friends, and the Corps. In everything he did, Michael gave 100%. First Lieutenant Glenn Jensen, who served with his friend, Michael Lacalzi, quote, Mike was my roommate in TBS, and I can only tell you that those of us that knew him are greater people because of him, and the world is a little darker without his smile. He is missed every day by his extended family of brothers and sisters, Semper Fi, end quote. He's survived by his mother and father, Carol and Gregory Lacalzi of Celebration, Florida, and West Hampton Beach, New York, along with his sister Elizabeth and brothers Gregory and Luke. Lacalzi earned the Iraqi Campaign Medal, Global War and Terrorism Medal, and the National Defense Service Medal. He was honored through the Travis Manion Foundation's Character Does Matter program presented during the Academy Summer Seminar and USNA STEM programs for rising 11th graders during the summer. And we certainly send out our prayers and thoughts to the Lacalzi family because, as we know, uh, during the holiday season, it's always a tough time when loved ones are missing at the table, around the Christmas tree, in the living room. Uh, to spend that you know precious time together and so we do take this time every week with the help of the Travis Manning Foundation to remember those heroes like Michael Lacalzi who have given the ultimate sacrifice. Travis Mannion Foundation's 9-11 Heroes Run 5K Race Series unites communities across the country and around the world to honor the sacrifices of September 11th and the war since. Join your community this September and register to run, walk, or rock by visiting 911heroesrun.org. The latest with Navy, Army, and Air Force on Yards and Stripes Service Academy Football. All right, welcome back in our final segment here on Yards and Stripes as we're making the turn. The Christmas holiday is this weekend. I know my guy, Steve and Mike, 
ready to uh, to settle in and do a little Christmas and holiday celebration this weekend. Before we do that, uh, a couple news and notes just to pass along to you. Um, really quickly, um, don't think I mentioned it last week, but Tyler Tidwell, uh, former standout Navy linebacker from 2003 to 2006, um, lost a four-year battle with ALS, obviously known as Lou Gehrig's disease, Oklahoma native, uh, passed away Saturday uh, at his home in Oklahoma City at the age of 37. Uh, the Naval Academy announced just recently. And I, from my understanding, I heard that the, um, the coaching staff found out the night before the Army-Navy game that he was um, really in a, in, a, in a tough situation and it could be a matter of hours. And um, it was a few hours after the Army-Navy game concluded that Tyler Tidwell um, sadly uh, lost his battle with ALS. He was di di diagnosed in August of 2019 um, with ALS and uh, unfortunately saw just a, a terrible disease that so many Americans and people around the world are um, afflicted with. So our, our thoughts with Tyler Tidwell, uh, his, his former Navy teammates, but certainly his family, uh, as we know that this is a, you know, a very tough time uh, to lose a loved one. I lost my father last year uh, the, the, on the day after New Year's. And so this is, it's always hard no matter when it is, but especially at the time of the holidays. Uh, so a couple other things to pass along real quickly to you. Phil Steele, everybody's favorite preseason magazine that they like to pick up a copy. It makes for some great summer beach reading or vacation reading if you're on the deck of a cruise ship or whatever you're doing. He's out with his postseason all-conference, all-independent teams, five midshipmen honored by Phil Steele and his all-American athletic conference teams, senior striker John Marshall, junior nose guard Donald Bernard, uh, junior defensive end Jacob Bussick, sophomore linebacker Colin Ramos uh, were all honored, along with sophomore fullback Daba Fofana. Seven Black Knights checking in uh, to Phil Steele's postseason all-independent uh, team late last week, senior, uh, center Connor Bishop, linebacker Andre Carter III, uh, safe Markel Broughton, uh, Ty Tyrell Robinson, uh, select as a punt returner, and then quarterback Ty here, Tyler, offensive lineman. Uh, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Mike, help me. Connor Finnecane, and then linebacker Leo Lowen, named to the second team. All right, well, that'll do it for us on this edition of Yards and Stripes. want to wish all our listeners, everybody that invests time every single week, all our college football fans, Army, Navy, Air Force, and beyond, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holiday, and a Happy New Year. Until we talk to you again, we will be back one more time this season to wrap it up here on Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football. Join us again next time for Yards and Stripes Service Academy football. To get more on all things Service Academy football, like Yards and Stripes on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at Yards and Stripes. And make sure that you're subscribing to the College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts.